Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Episode 200. We made it. Do you have any idea what that means? Because uh, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I feel like... I'm not sure what the difference is between episodes 199 and 200 and 201 are. It is a milestone. Okay, so I've been doing a lot of thinking about what it possibly could be. And, and I'm being honest when I say I don't know what the difference is because we put a lot of effort into any episode that we put out there. We want it to be the best one. I, I Certainly, the episodes are now better than they were when we first started. But I think that if there's anything that 200 means, it's like longevity. It's consistency. It's the fact that we never gave up. And I think that's a message that does ring true for about you know, 90 something percent of these episodes, which is that you you talk to a person about ups and downs and and highs and lows and gutter balls and strikes. And in the end, they've they've made it. They've made it to this point and they've made it to creating something that is celebrated. And if people are willing to celebrate this episode, to celebrate us, to celebrate the fact that we have gone 200 episodes, not skipped a week, sometimes given you 12 episodes in 12 days sometimes gone more <laughs> yeah just crazy with them then then that is to be celebrated and i think that that's really cool so episode 200 what has this podcast done that you never expected to do i mean it got us to london that's a pretty big deal that was that was dope but i think that what it's done is it allows us to have real conversations with people that we never thought we'd have conversations with mm-hmm. you know i mean like we spend weeks at the Lox's studio, and we watch movies with them. It's crazy. Like, we watched Coco with the Lox. It, this is true. That might be the most surprising thing that's <laughs> happened from all of this. Like, you know, like, yes, it, it, it has allowed us to travel. Mm-hmm. It's allowed us to make a little bit of money. Yeah. It's allowed us to have, like, Ty Dolla Sign use our bathroom. This is true. But, like, Coco, <laughs> we watched that with the Lox. Yeah. It, it, and by the way, perfect segue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, October 3rd, anybody in, around, or coming to New York City, we expect you to be at Highline Ballroom. Two Jews and two black dudes review the movies live. It's our first show with the locks on stage watching a movie with you guys. We're going to be watching a movie. We're going to be commentating during the movie. And it's going to be hilarious and well worth your time, well worth your evening, well worth your money. Tickets are available right now at itsthereal.com. I think for us, what's really special is that it's created not just fantastic conversation, but meaningful connections with a lot of these artists. You know, the fact that we can go to California and sit down with Wiz Khalifa and him welcome us in like old friends and have real conversation with him is awesome. The same thing that we can do with, with Mano. The same thing we can do with Mike Posner, who until we saw him at his hotel room, we hadn't seen for a long time. Same thing that we do with Marcia St. Hubert or Shari Bryant or any of the Rockefeller guys. I think, you know, when we ran into Jim Jones at Rock Nation one day, he was over the moon about what his interview meant in terms of what he said what we reminded him of, and what he wanted to do in the future. He was like, let's do another one on the streets of Harlem. Which is crazy, because we thought that he didn't like the interview. But you know what? Uh, You never know. He was eating an apple during the interview. (laughs) But maybe the most special thing to come out of this podcast, to be completely honest, is you guys. Is the fact that you come back week after week, that you jump in our Instagram lives, 
that you see us in person, that you stop us on the streets, that you've stopped actual trains and told us that you've stopped us at the airport going through TSA, that you have yelled out of cars, that you have shaken our hands, asked for our autographs, sent us emails, bought tickets to our shows, supported by buying merch, that you have cared, that you have welcomed us into your regular activities and literally into your headphones on a weekly basis that is the most meaningful thing and that you guys still want more from us and still get excited every time a new episode pops up on your phone that's pretty damn special you forgot about the guy who baked me cookies oh well that that, that, you know what shout out to that guy for not poisoning you because that's a great opportunity for you to trust a stranger to send pastries into your apartment and eat them and not die. Yeah. I mean, I wanted cookies that badly. This is true. That I didn't even question what was in them. Uh, I saw that Scotty Beam wrote the other day that she had established a P.O. box for yeah. people to send her gifts. Mm-hmm. We have not done that. Um, no. <laughs> but if you want to send us gifts, send them to Scotty Beam and then <laughs> hopefully she'll, she'll forward yeah, them to yeah. us. So, but anyway, 200 episodes. Is there anything that... Uh, really stands out to you Jeff besides the Rockefeller thing I think people ask us about our favorite episode of all time and I mean that has to be right it it's in a different class for right, me. right no like really like that doesn't even feel like our like that just feels like this this crazy thing that happened and it was and it did um, <laughs> I think for me I mean Swizz Beach showing up oh my God. on like a Saturday night mm-hmm. out of nowhere that was crazy mm-hmm. um, and then going to the studio afterwards with him mm-hmm all of that was nuts. I like taking bets on the younger artists and seeing them pay off. The Lil yeah. Uzis, the Cardi Bs. Um, and I love the veterans, too. And when DJ Slay came up in here and spent forever talking about his unbelievable career from, you know, the very origins of hip-hop until now, that was pretty special. Uh, DJ Premier locking our door because we never do. Yeah, that was pretty good. Uh Ty Dolla Sign using our bathroom and calling it a piss cup. That was exceptional. Um, Migos bringing over like 20 people. <laughs> uh, and you know what? Having having our friends come up here, Greg and Shin and Marsha and Kaz and Lo and Diani and Waz and Nod and, and everybody who took time to just support when this isn't a paid gig. It's barely a paid gig for us. That, that this is something that people are just like, you guys do something different. We love it and we want to support it is uh, really dope. Oh, also, most underrated thing that we ever did. Yeah. <laughs> was, because we've had like all these huge names up here. Yes. We had a guy from the Midwest mm-hmm. who had never been to New York ever. Right. And he came in for Charles Hamilton show in 2015 or 16. Mm-hmm. And the Charles Hamilton concert got canceled. Right. And so he was like, well, the the least I can do is, you know, reach out to It's The Real and see if I could at least meet them. <laughs> yeah. And, and just say hi. And just say hi. And then we had him on the podcast. We did. Yeah. Listen, I mean, the guy bought plane tickets. He flew we, on a plane for the first time. Yeah. You have to talk about that on the podcast. Shout out to Giancarlo Chin, who is <laughs> yeah. the the least likely person to show up on our podcast. Yeah. He showed up. He showed up. We had him on. What a, what a time. He lived a lot of people's dreams. <laughs> yeah. That's also crazy. Yeah. That people... Because we never thought that we would be journalists. We're not. 
No, but we we sort of are considered that, I which is like crazy. I think it's uh, I I I for real journalists, I feel bad when people say that we are journalists. I would say this. And I think we can agree on this. Mm-hmm. We form some sort of platform that people think is important, and that is wild. Yeah, but this like Joe Matt- Fresh Goods episode when everyone from Chicago hit us up and they were like, you guys with your huge platform took a chance on somebody from our city matters. And we're like, okay, listen to the Rocky fresh episode yeah, or the Andrew to Barber, the Andrew Barber. Dreezy or anybody else from Chicago who's been on the podcast. Yeah. No, like it's funny. Like when mouse Jones talks about how we're like the letterman for him. Crazy. And then other people repeat that afterwards. Like that's bizarre to me. It's this whole thing is crazy that we've made it two hundred episodes. This might be, this is close to the longest thing that we've ever done at one time, and you know there's no reason really to stop it. And we enjoy that you guys get such a kick out of it, and we have some really amazing guests on the way. And I I, I think through this whole process, you guys have a pretty good idea of who we are through episodes that we've done by ourselves. I think through the conversations that we've had with everybody talking about high school and talking about college and talking about work and it just talking about growing up. But we wanted to do something with, with this episode, episode 200, where we really do talk about ourselves. And it's much more fun when there's someone else here asking the questions. <laughs> and... It meant a lot to us that Naomi Zeichner, who's been on the podcast, who's been a part of our lives for the last seven or eight years, agreed to come up here. She's the former editor-in-chief of The Fader and is now at YouTube Mm -hmm. and is a real journalist, an excellent journalist. And it's really important to us that we had someone who would sit down and talk to us with care and that it's done on our platform that people think is pretty significant is significant in itself so i really enjoyed this episode i was glad we got to talk about a whole range of things i think you guys will get a great idea of who we are as people as a brand and as podcasters and it's our pleasure now to present you with episode 200 but before we do jeff do you have any episodes that you want to recommend yes i have 200 episodes (laughs) that i'd like to recommend oh good starting with this one yes uh, but also, I'd say the Killer Mike episode. That was a really good one. That, I don't know that, what number that is. Me neither. But but that was the one where we flew down right ahead of our album release and had Killer Mike interview us about our our lives and us as artists. And it was amazing for him to let us into his house. Shout out to him. Shout out to Shay. And shout out to that conversation. I'm going to say number 134, J.I.D. That was a great episode as well. Somebody who, you know... Again, a new kid that we wanted to take a chance on. We asked Interscope if we could get him, and he made his way up here and talked about everything from playing football to signing with Dreamville. And we're excited about his path, excited about his music, and excited about him as a person. Well, yeah, I'm I'm recommending it because his story is so similar to ours. That's right. Number 133, Maul of the Joe Budden podcast. Shout out to Maul. Maul, who, you know... We loved the Joe Budden podcast uh, when they had Marissa Mendez on there, and we made a cameo over there one time when Joe called out because he was working in L.A., I think. But ever since they made that switch and brought Maul in as a permanent member of that crew, they have been on one hell of a run. Their live shows, their videos, their cartoons, their 
dramatic readings, their sound effects with the flex. Um, oh, the soundboard? Oh, the soundboard. But the flex, the gunshots, the... Um, the, 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 the Mendeecees thing is oh the best, though. Oh, my God. It's so good. And also, the fact that they have become the place to go anytime a big album drops or a big diss song drops or something happens in the news, you have to go and hear what Joe and Rory and Maul have to say is a testament to not only them and their platform, but to the conversations that they have. I do want to mention one more time, Two Jews and Two Black Dudes review the movies live at... Highline Ballroom here in New York City, October 3rd. Tickets are available at itsthereal.com. We have merch available at itsthereal.com. We have tour dates on itsthereal.com. We have podcasts and other stuff at itsthereal.com. So go there right now. Jeff, when do you want to get into this episode? Uh, right now. Hey, guys. <laughs> Is that to us? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I'm Naomi Zeichner, and we're here again. We're just back at your kitchen table on the Upper West Side. The only time I ever come to the Upper West Side <laughs> is for you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I love it here. Well, honestly, thank you for doing this. Like, first of all, I'm so excited. No, yeah. we're excited. I feel a little, a little nervous. In what sense? You know, because this is just the first time you guys have ever done this. Yeah. Want to make sure it's good. I hope so. Want to, want to do you proud? No. I sort of hope it's, it's so bad that it goes viral. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, okay, yeah, that's like that's that's a whole nother level of intimidation. How can we do that? So the first time I ever met you guys was you were on a live talk show at a I don't I, I wish I maybe like on the east side at a, some comedy place and the host was this guy Scott Rogalski. Yeah. Yeah. Some people may now know is the host of HQ just, like HQ still exists. Yeah? It does. It yeah. sure does. Yeah. You can win a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Scott Rogalski got like suddenly <laughs> famous and sort of deservedly so in it's my crazy. opinion. Yeah. I always thought he was like I was like Scott Rogalski. Well, anyway, we'll talk yeah. about Scott later. Yeah. But he was also at the time my boyfriend's roommate. So I was at, you know, supporting my boyfriend's roommate <laughs> at his strange comedy show that was sure. supposed to be a talk show and you guys were on and my immediate reaction was sort of like who the fuck are these Westchester guys mm -hmm. who think they know about rap and think they're funny mm -hmm. <laughs> like who who yeah. told them that was okay yeah so and and I think you guys went to high school right with Scott I went to nursery school with him I yeah. see and then um he went to like private school I think yeah I've never gone to uh to school with Jeff since uh, like elementary, school. elementary school, yeah. Wow, yeah, because there's three and a half years age difference, but four years in in grades. Yeah, yeah. Who's and you're older? I am older. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I I want to just start with though, like you know, I was sort of like, who the hell are these kids from Westchester or what? Like, where are you, where are you from? Yeah, no, we're from we're from Harrison. Um, where Scott's also from, and we had a Rye mailing address. Rye is like the very wealthy neighbor. We were from the blue collar Harrison, right? Like our parents, our mom was a magazine editor um, in the city for Family Circle, for good, uh, housekeeping. good housekeeping. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then I ended her career um, <laughs> by being born. She left to have me, and then came back to find that her desk was filled, which was you know a, a sort of thing of the time, right? Not that it's cool. I'm just saying like that was a reality. And our dad worked. He was a company man. He worked at IBM. He worked at Citibank. Yeah. He's uh, one of the uh, architects for online banking. Yeah. And, wow. and so, uh, we grew up in a, a, a nice creative household. Our parents would let us, you know, I wanted to paint the basement, um, in like baseball logos, like giant major league baseball logos. And they were like, as long as you paint it white and then 
you can do whatever you want. And those logos stayed throughout, like, the whole time that they owned that house. But a very creative household. Well, I mean, you should be said that you made it to Sports Illustrated for kids I from did. there. I did. Yeah. That was that was the big thing. Scott Rogowski would appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... He never made it to Sports But no, it was a nice, loving household. It was, it was uh, me and then uh, my brothers, Dan and Jeff, who are twins. Yeah. yeah. What was your dynamic, like, as kids? Like, were you very close, the two of you? Or were you and Dan, who's your twin, right, super, super close and never talked? to eric yeah we never <laughs> when when i met eric he was 12 um i think the three of us were very close yeah. i think that dan and i obviously you know shared a lot of friends but then at a certain point my friends and dan's friends all became eric's friends mm-hmm. um to a very like real degree right wouldn't yeah. you say yeah we we all you know we went to day camp together we never went to sleepaway camp we would take family trips we would drive down to see our cousins in washington dc that was a sort of easy trip we would go down to we would drive down the East Coast to go see um, our mom's parents down in Florida. So that was like a longer trip. But we would also take trips to the Deep South. Um, we would go to all these like Civil War, Civil battle. War sites. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, we, we traveled a lot. We were very close, you know, and, and we were very good. We were good kids. You know, we didn't cause too much trouble. Um, the biggest thing that our parents like disliked probably was for a time our taste in music you know or like how loud we would play our music but really it was it was something where we went to camp and made videos together we played sports in the street together we would bike into town together um i just want to correct one thing i think that uh there were definitely things that our parents did not like more than (laughs) the music maybe like you know when i keyed somebody's car with a rock or when i yeah there were other yeah yeah (laughs) What stole you, things <laughs> if if you had to sort of identify maybe like some values of the family or things that the family was like or you know what would the family down the street say about you guys you know like i think that you were you were yeah. free to key cars <laughs> i don't know if i was free to um there was definitely a response to that like families down the street probably were just like oh yeah like those kids are just like good kids we had a good creative dynamic when we wanted to you know, write that we created a, a newspaper that we would write the three of us and edit ourselves, like which I'm was not, called the Rosenthal Reporters. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not sure exactly what we were reporting on, but it would go to our grandparents, I guess. Um, we would take pictures. It, this was our idea of fun. We we asked our parents to move the cars outside of the garage, and we would close the garage door, and we would blast Hot 97, and we would rollerblade in a circle. <laughs> like, Man, that's sick. It was, <laughs> But for hours, just listening to, you know, Ladies' Night. Uh, not the song Ladies' Night, but like Angie Martinez. Right, Jazzy and, Joyce. Yeah, and- like everyone who on Friday nights, as kids, we would rollerblade around in circles listening to Hot 97. And, you know. We weren't even doing drugs. No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I had a similar experience, right? Like, clearly had this appetite to make content from a very young age. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, well, like, why? Like, where did I get that from? Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously, like, social media didn't exist. Blogging didn't exist. But the internet did. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I think we're close to the same age, yeah. right? There was sort of this promise of computers that was very exciting. Um, like, why do you think that you had this inclination and desire to sort of make content? Well, yeah. And, and like, when did, did, were you really psyched about the internet when you got it? Did you have email yeah. at your house? So when we, when we would take those long trips, um, our mom would stay up very late in the bathroom with these um, empty books. And she would create these travel books 
games for us to play, um, things for us to spot. Uh, yeah, like time wasters. But yeah. also like ways for us to remember what was going on. You know, what exactly you liked about the national parks, what exactly you liked about Conan or Letterman that you watched the night before. But she would stay up so we could all sleep and give us these opportunities to be creative, draw this, write about this. Think yeah, of what things. were your favorite restaurants? You know, like, did you meet anybody? Did you talk to anybody? Like that sort of thing where it was just like these creative outlets that you would have. Yeah. And so like these are very formative years, but also very formative products of those years. Our parents gave us the opportunity to be creative. I think the three of us being so close spurred something on with us. And also working at that day camp where we were able to make these videos that were like half hour movies that we could act and direct in and decide to recreate a Beastie Boys video or recreate. Yeah, like imagine like 40 middle school kids <laughs> in like 1997 redoing the Beat It dance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, all of, like it, it's crazy. Yeah. And then our best friend, Greg Mayo, um, whose father was a, a very accomplished touring and studio musician, Bob Mayo, played with Frampton on Frampton Comes Alive, played with Hall and Oates, played with Foreigner and, and Aerosmith and all these great bands. Um, Greg was just a musical genius, and we would go over to his house where he had a studio in the basement, and we would just make mixtapes. We would rap. You know, we would. We would come up with skits in the middle. We would come up with themes and have our friends host this. And it was all about inside jokes that, you know, we all had and thought was hilarious. And then we would burn the CDs and then we would hand them out, you know, before camp started. And that was just our life. We just, we just, we called ourselves the Purchase Street Sweepers. You know, we loved DJ K Slay so much. We wanted to just have our own thing that was honest and true to us. So obviously, you know, like rap music was, is just pop music, right? It was the music that existed in the air. Like, why else would you have liked anything else? It's very natural. But do you remember maybe like a, a rap song or just like what, what were some of that music that like really hit you <laughs> personally or like when you think about kind of? Yeah, I think um, I know Dan very, very, very early on bought Boom Shake the Room <laughs> by uh, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Um, but at that time, I remember I, I just wanted to buy anything. Um, it didn't matter what it was. And so I remember I came out of there with like a Garth Brooks, um, cassette, but much later, uh, when I was in like, uh, fourth grade, fifth grade, I remember, you know, Montel Jordan was huge for me. Um, I remember, uh, the boys to men, um, two album being very big, mm -hmm. um, and by that time, you were already listening to, like, Snoop and, you know, everything else. So yeah. Domino was very um, big for me in that. And, and yeah, and Snoop. Uh, D Domino, I had the cassette single for Sweet Potato Pie, which my mom took away and, you know, hid. Um, I, I loved Snoop. I loved Dre. I loved Biggie, too. Like, I loved East Coast stuff, but, like, the West Coast just spoke to me. I don't know why. The G-Funk... You know, we grew up on, on Motown stuff. You know, our parents would play a lot of that. Beatles, of course, um, but a lot of Motown. And and I don't know what the, the G-Funk spoke to me about, but it just did. And and it really, I don't know, kept. Well, you were also like smacking bitches and... That, yes, yeah, yeah completely. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, I, uh, I remember calling MTV Jams like every single day to get them to play ski lows i wish mm. um and i would always get like uh i dallas like the um 
there was like a recording mm-hmm. of Idalis being like, thanks for calling MTV Jams or like Bill Bellamy just being like, you're not getting through. And by the way, like that's not to say, so I listened to rap. I loved rap. A lot of my friends didn't. Same. But I also got, you know, Green Day and I also got Dave Matthews Band. Dave. And, yeah, Dave. <laughs> I went to, yeah, I went to go see Dave my prom weekend. Like, you know, it was a regular thing. I never got into Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I think about, you know, I, I also had that same expansive CD book, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that I wonder sometimes, like, when when the road narrowed for me. Like, when did yeah. sort of the world of, the like, the expansive world of rap music become the world that I was pretty much solely interested in? and Or even also, when did music become so much the root of my life? I guess, I, when for you, do you think that that happened? Or when did you sort of look back and say, oh, like, this is really where I'm grounded? I think that for me, I guess, like, when I got the internet... No, no, I mean, before then, no. I I was very excited when we got MTV, like that was like a huge deal to me. Yeah, we didn't grow up with cable. Yeah, it was. It was for you. It was like ninth grade. It was a so that's real a long time, like real treat when we were on the road to stop somewhere where like HBO and ESPN and MTV. You know, we would go up to our grandparents' place. Uh, they had a a winter home in uh, Vermont, and our our father's parents, and we would go up there, and they had MTV, and you know, to watch anything on there was just like the biggest treat but yeah. but yeah when we got cable that was a big game changer but also um when the internet came we we downloaded everything 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 <laughs> like, like mixtapes well yeah i mean i went through like napster aries nutella <laughs> like every single service there was i had limewire yeah. Yeah. yeah all that and and it was that was big when i went off to college you know having uh, a landline was crazy, you know, and that was just such a game changer in terms of like, we need to get every piece of Kanye material that there is, you know, like have to. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a game, you know, all between all of us to sort of like, who would find this or who would find that? And eventually you would get the ones where it was like mislabeled and, yeah. you know, downloading like Eminem Featuring uh, yeah. Jay-Z <laughs> and Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and, you know, Domino and whoever. But it, it was not, it was not, it was never that. But When you went to college, obviously right at different times and you went in different cities. Like, What did you, you know, I, th- I think in, in American families, but I would say also in Jewish families, maybe specifically. Like, I, my, like college was a very important thing. I really was expected to know, like, what postdoctorate degree I was going to get. And I think my parents were very concerned. I remember oh, just man. being like, what? You don't have, you don't know what your, your plan is. And so like what, you know, when you went to college, what was the game plan? What did you think the purpose was going to be? Oh my, I was, I was the worst. Um, like, so you grew up in this creative family and you're given all these opportunities to explore that. And I didn't change. I went to school and I was just like, I'm going to be a creative. I'm going to be a feature film writer and director. And I'm not going to go to grad school to do it. I'm going to do it now. I don't, I've always had this thing and I have these reoccurring dreams where I'm missing my flight or I'm missing a train or I'm late to something. And I, I just always feel like I have to do this now, right? I just, I can't wait. I have to be ahead of my competition. And um, I didn't want to go to grad school and get my doctorate or figure out something in film then. I wanted to go to film school right away. And I went to Syracuse. I didn't get into the Newhouse School of Communications, which is like where everyone, you know, all the producers and all the, you think that's 
you get that degree and that's, you know, going to set your life straight. And no, I went. And so I transferred from arts and sciences, which my parents are like, yeah, like get a wide sort of breath and and figure out where you'll go and use this time to sort of explore. No, I was I was so sad. I was treating this like an apprenticeship. I, I went to visual performing arts and I was a film major. I was a film major, a drama minor. I was so set on my career and I shot music videos. I shot. I shot narrative things. I was so set on that and, you know, things come and go and life is not a straight path, right? I didn't have like a clear idea of what I wanted to do. Um, Eric and Dan both did. Um, I think for me, my mom had suggested American studies because it was a broad enough thing that um, I could just learn about like American history and stuff. And then I didn't go to class. I didn't... um, I just like hung out with people like that was my it was my first time being alone and it was this thing where it was just like it's cool to just hang out with like every like I was the mayor of Boston like I I knew everybody and that was like my thing Um, and then at a certain point I saw uh, Almost Famous and that's what like made me want to be a writer and that's what made me want to work in music and that's you know that's what sort of like set me down like the right path i don't know what mom and dad thought by the time you were in college but like me being in college they were just like don't you want to just you know just see what everything's about and and then they were like don't you want to transfer to a better school like for film and like go to ucla or go to usc or something like that and i was like no i'm going to ride this out here cuz syracuse isn't like known to be the place. The place. Yeah. For filmmaking, right? Like, they make producers in Newhouse, but they don't make, like, auteurs. And I was like, man, I, and what do you know, you know, at that age either? You know, I thought I knew everything. I really did. I, I was like, I'm going to, you know, write about high school stuff, and I'm going to be like John Hughes, and I'm going to make the... But, by, by the way, like, I wanted to make John Hughes movies with a Coen Brothers, like, sort of twist. I was like Paul Thomas Anderson. I was like... I, I wanted to do, like, you know, Thinking Man's, you know, How much and... did you like Garden State, though? Oh, I loved Garden State. Yeah. That hit it, like, the right time. <laughs> hit it the right time. But Big Lebowski really, like, you know, changed my life and, and led me into this, like, idea of what humor really could be like, you know? And I love Dumb and Dumber, too. You know, mm-hmm. I loved SNL. You know, humor was just a thing, but it wasn't, like, where I was going to be in front of the camera. Did you? I don't know. No, I never thought I would be in front of the camera. Yeah. Ever. Um, no, that's not true. I, I remember I performed, uh, at BU. I, there was like a, an American Idol type competition and I rapped an Mm -hmm. original rap. Mm -hmm. Um, and I came in second or third. I did the Harlem shake and (laughs) the, the crowd like went crazy. And so like, that was like the first time that I actually like performed and maybe the only time I've performed Mm. by myself. Yeah. I wish, I wish there was some (laughs) video of that. (laughs) And then, so, you know, how did you guys kind of come together, right? You were so many years ahead mm-hmm. while Jeff was Harlem shaking. Yeah. You were maybe already <laughs> finished with school. Yeah. Um, and what also was like, you know, what was that moment like where you realized maybe that you were not going to be a film director? Yeah. How soon did that moment come? Well, so it, it came in phases. Um, I interned for a music video and commercial and documentary company here in the city my sophomore year. And I worked on... Kobe Bryant's music video. I met Tyra Banks. I was like over the moon. Um, I, it was great. And, but I, 
I wor- I worked on a Slipknot video. <laughs> I worked on um, a Backstreet Boys video. But I also worked on this documentary. What was the name of it? Capturing the Freedmans. Capturing the Freedmans, which yeah. won at Sundance. Um, I, I had a very, very small, like, you know, very, very off-screen, behind-the-scenes right. role. Right, you weren't one of the Freedmans. I was not. Yeah. But it was cool to be a part of that. I had an IMDb thing, right? And as so I'm learning, and I then I wanted to study, you know, at the, at the elbow of one of the greats. And I wanted to get on any feature film that I could, and I used... Any way that I could, cold emailing, cold calling, using like relatives who may have known someone, um, and and then there was a film strike, and a union, you know, strike, and I didn't want to cross any lines. I didn't want to be a part of anything, and also production had been shut down, so I was screwed. The following summer, I took a photography class um, here in the city, and and was kind of stubborn about everything, and I went back to school, and I took this class um, with this professor um, named Richard Dubin, who ended up being really important to me in that he taught at Newhouse, the school that I couldn't get into. And so I, I decided to do an independent study. Um, well, I guess first I, I fought really hard to get into his class as a film business class. And I'm the only, you know, vision performing arts guy in this class full of would be producers. And we had this project, which was you had to research how a film was made. Um, and I was put into this crew that decided to pick Fast and Furious, a film that I wasn't into or didn't have any interest in. And what does anyone do at, you know, at that age in college? You, you don't do much um, research or anything. So you go on the internet, you find whatever information you can and you bring it back. I had to do like um, pre-production and you're supposed to bring in an actual budget and you know, everyone got yelled at and Professor Dubin was like, listen, actually reach out to people. They will pick up your phone calls. Um, they're humans. And I did. I, I placed a phone call to a guy named Neil Moritz, who was the executive producer of Fast and Furious and went on to produce a million huge films, blockbusters. And I left him a message. I don't know. I, I found his number online. I left him a message and he called our landline at our house in college and I got the call and he said, I love what you had to say. Here's every number to all of my producers, my executive producers, my associate producers, everyone, and they'll get you what you need. And I walked in the next class with an actual budget, an actual thick budget and just plopped it on the table and I was like, I want to go first. And I, it set me apart and I, I was like, oh, I can just talk to people. I can just knock down doors and I can get in and I don't need to go through gatekeepers anymore. And that was super important to me. It didn't help me get a job. I wrote, I graduated school. I wrote these scripts. Um, I met with amazing people, Barry Diller, the Godfather producers, Neil Moritz. Again, I'm, I'm, I wasn't selling anything because I came from this place where I didn't have any life experience. I didn't love, I didn't lose, I didn't like travel. I didn't do any of that. I was just like this kid from a nice environment growing up who, um, you know, went to a good college, who had good friends, didn't really get in trouble, um, did some stupid things, but nothing that, you know, got me arrested or took me anywhere. Went back home, wrote these scripts and walked them into rooms and couldn't sell them. And and they shouldn't have sold. I was like, all right, I'm going to do an animated movie now. And I, I wrote the scripts about these animals from the Bronx Zoo who escape and go back to their homeland, right? 
And I pitched that to Fox Animation, and they were like, this won't work because we're focused on doing, like, one type of animal. Like, we need a dog movie, or we need, like, a cat movie. And I was like, but I have penguins and monkeys and giraffes and all this stuff. And they were like, it'll never work. And then Madagascar comes out, and I was like, damn. (laughs) And I was like, also, like, well, you know what, though? That's not going to be my last great idea. And it wasn't like they stole it from me. It was just like, if that idea is out in the ether, like, anyone could come up with that and... I shouldn't be sad about that. And um, I learned that I, I would rather be a big fish in a small pond than try to fight all these kids who were just like me. Like, oh, we're all going to be feature filmmakers. We're all going to make these same movies. I was like, let me, let me rock with a more interesting situation, something that was closer to my heart. And that's where hip hop and filmmaking came together because I got to know Kanye West, who had a company called Hustle Film out of Chicago, and they were looking to make documentaries and feature films. How, like, how did you guys connect on the phone? What kind of phone was it? Like, yeah. what, you know, yeah. what year are we yeah. talking? Um, and it's so funny also, like, especially, you know, this year and kind of all of the conversations we've all been having about Kanye. Yeah. I sort of I sort of said to someone that in some ways it's like an existential crisis for me because I really feel like my career has just been to be a Kanye-ologist, right? Like, he, yeah. is, he is a connective tissue like for anyone I think who's interested in this culture and the people that surround it. And, and so in some ways I'm like, well, where do we all go from here? Where is Kanye going? Yeah. Where am I going? But yeah, like why, how did you get swept up into that? I, um, like I said, like, so Jeff's and my relationship, especially when he was in college, um, there would be a lot of connections that we would have however many hours away we would call each other after we would watch The Office on NBC um, and we would recap it and we would have these conversations and be like, and go over lines and just, just because it was fun to discuss, you know? But we had the same thing with, with Kanye's music. It was like, you know, downloading all these things right. and Did you trading get the files. Clinton Sparks, you know, mixtape? Yeah. Did you get the DJ White Owl mixtape or whatever? Like, yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was wild. We would we would have these conversations, and we loved Kanye. Kanye was so different. Um, we loved Rockefeller. We loved Jay Z, and that Kanye was any part of that. Look, I remember Jeff downloaded the Freeway album um, and burned it on CD, and then we shared that, and that was like everything to us. It was like, are we going to like this guy with the weird voice? And then we did. We loved it. Um, you know the the Scarface um, Fix album or anything state well, I mean, properly yeah but we would also just go over like what's your favorite DJ drop right all and but just, all like, of that recite every single one but as for like why you but but Kanye was so important right like yeah. Kanye was so different and and it spoke it was like man you know random songs like what when he did one with like Old Dirty Bastard that was like a gem so anything that we could sort of be a part of we were into I would go to the record stores. Sam Goody or Coconuts or whatever, and I would buy Scratch Magazine, right? And I remember seeing a, a big piece on Kanye and Just Blaze. And and then I saw something about John Monopoly. And so I, in like Double XL, and I would learn about all these guys and, and there was something special and it, it felt new, it felt young and it spoke to me. It spoke completely to me. Um, again, my experience was nothing like Kanye's, but it was so, it, it felt like mine. And... I was like, I want to work with these guys. And when, and I had that same relationship with Dan where we would, you know, uh, talk and, and relate music wise and all that. And so when Dan came home 
for spring break for spring break with a friend right we were like we're Shout gonna go to see we're gonna go see kanye live in asbury park new jersey we're gonna drive down there and and we're gonna make this happen and we saw kanye and little brother and um Don C was DJ Offbeat. Uh, John Stevens. John Stevens. John Legend was playing keyboards. Wow. And it was just like this small auditorium. And it was like, but this guy is amazing. And, and it just feels great. It wasn't like he's going to be a superstar. It wasn't like we're going to have any relationship. But because I was, I had this mentality of like, nothing's beyond me and I'm going to make this happen. We waited outside and I met Consequence. And he came over and... I was like, I need to meet John Monopoly. And he's like, well, he's not here, but Don C is. And I was like, I got to meet Don C. And he was like, if you buy two of my mixtapes right now, I'll let you. <laughs> and so I bought two of them and he was like, I'll sign them. And I was like, thanks. Thanks very much. <laughs> and he ran off and he got Don C. And Don C was the nicest person ever, came over. And I, I gave him my elevator pitch. I'm the greatest, you know, young filmmaker. And I need to be a part of this. And I just, I, I love what you guys are doing. Whatever I said, it took, and he was like, here's John's email, hit him, tell him I sent you, and that started my relationship with, with those guys. And, you know, soon thereafter, John Monopoly would, <laughs> he would leave his jobs. He worked at um, Violator for a minute. He worked for um, Epic, I think, and he would, like, leave jobs and no forwarding address, and I would just have to chase down and figure out, and one time, he, I knew he was in the city, I forget how, and... I got his number, I guess his new cell phone number, and I hit him, and he's like, I'm at the W Hotel, and I was like, cool. And then I'm like, oh my God, there's a million W Hotels in the city. And I chose the right one. I ended up at the right W Hotel, and who was in the lobby but Consequence? And I was like, oh my God, thank God. My guy. You're yeah. here, yeah. You signed my, there's no reason to remember me, but whatever. And he was like, oh, cool. And he was like, we're in suite, whatever. And I went up there, and A-Track was there, and I thought his name was 8-Track, right? <laughs> and I met GLC, and I gave them a script. I, there was one time, by the way, when Bill Murray was shooting a film in my parents' neighborhood. I was still living in you know, my parents' place, like however old I was, like 23, 24, something like that. And um, Yeah, we walked over there. Walked over there to hand a script to Bill Murray. Like, I was just like out of my mind, right? Just like by any means necessary. But, you know, meeting these guys, less than a year later, they were like, would you want to come to the Grammys? This is Kanye's first Grammys and be his videographer, document the whole team the whole time, be with them 24-7. And it changed my life. Where did that footage go? I own that footage and Al Branch has that footage. And they were going to use that for what was called a dual disc at the time. For, for um, late registration. registration, and I walked the footage to them. I mean, I have my copies on all these, like, mini DV tapes, uh, but Al Branch has, has all the others, and I, Kanye, I mean, they paid me, and... But you Kanye were, like... Vault. They are. You, were, you, you went to, like, you know, uh, they, they honored him and his mother. I was, yeah, I was with his parents. I got to know... All of them, like I had these weird coincidences. The girl he was dating at the time and I were in classes together at Syracuse. Alexis? Was I, well, no, it wasn't Alexis. It was Brooke, Brooke. Crittenton, okay. who, uh, who worked at <laughs> who worked at um, who worked at MTV. But it was weird. We were we were together in the record plant in L.A. It was a very strange night. Like 
I, I ended up in a studio with just Kanye, 88 Keys, and Nick Cannon as 88 and Kanye ghost wrote um, part of Nick Cannon's song about how his mother um, almost aborted him. It was a very interesting evening. But anyway, but I got to know Brooke and we were talking about Dinosaur Barbecue. And she's like, what do you know about Dinosaur Barbecue? I'm like, I went to Syracuse. What do you know about it? And all of a sudden she was like, I was in this class with Professor Dubin. I was like, I was in that class with Professor Dubin. And I knew his security guard, Barry. He also went to Syracuse. There was a lot of like connections. I met all these amazing people. And all of a sudden, you know, this is, they got me this hotel room out there. They got me a car. I was on my own, but I was working and I went to everything with them. And they treated me like family. And my family at home was like, we like this. After years of not knowing what I was doing with my life. Like I came home, you know, when I was, when I was writing those scripts, I was Mom still... had no, no idea what you were doing. No, both of them. There were screaming matches between me and mom and dad and Dan and Jeff are off at college doing their thing and they just don't know what to do with their kid who's, who's getting up in the morning, running two and a half miles to the beach, sitting down and writing, physically writing on loose leaf paper and when I got hungry, stuffing that back into my pockets and running two and a half miles home for a whole summer, they were like, you're out of your mind. What do we pay for school for? What are you doing? Get a temp job. And I did. I took shitty, stupid temp jobs, um, which I hated. And, and when this came along, you know, mom was like, I love this guy, Kanye West. And maybe part of that's like, hey, he's employing my son. <laughs> but she's like... You know, she she heard Jesus walks and she was like, oh, my, this is this is unlike anything else. You'd been playing in the backseat of the car or in the garage while you're rollerblading around or blasting out of your car when you roll up back from college. You know, this isn't shine. <laughs> you know, this is this is someone who like means more. And and they were so supportive of that. And, you know, for whatever reason, um, they sort of cooled their jets and and were really supportive. So by the time I came back from Grammy week with the biggest artist and doing the biggest things and I um the night before I flew back um it was Grammy night. It was like five o'clock in the morning. I had just left Kanye and his whole team after the most amazing night. He won a whole bunch of Grammys, had the best party. It was insane. And my job was over and I'm in a suit and I have my Canon XL2 camera, and I get into this elevator, which looks, it's, it's a glass elevator, and it looks outside onto Los Angeles, and it's, you know, the sun is just, you know, about to, like, come up, so you see all the lights over Los Angeles, and it's rising to whatever floor I'm on, and I'm by myself, and I put the camera bag down, and I did the only thing that made sense to me, which was throw up the rock. Oh, my God. And I was like, I don't care. It was amazing, and it meant the world to me. And and then I flew back, and all of a sudden, you know, you have that at the top of your resume. And I'm meeting with Lior Cohen and Kevin Lyles and Mona Scott, and I started doing work for all these record companies on a, on a freelance basis. I mean, tell the Lior and Kevin story. I I I met with Lior. He had just taken over at Warner, and Lior, you know, Jewish guy, music business, um, had. Obviously, super success at Def Jam was somebody that I had to meet. I, you know, never met the guy, just knew of his stature and, and all these stories. And I was like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to wow them and I'm going to 
get a job at Warner Music Group and I'm going to be Lior's guy. And so I go in and I wait and he keeps me waiting forever. And eventually I am let into this big conference room at 75 Rock and he's sitting there and he's like, da, 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 you know, hearing me out. And then he's like, what, a, what would your schedule be like for us? I'm like, I will work whenever you need. Really? 24-7. Yep, 24-7. If I called you in the middle of the night, you'd come and you'd film whatever I need. Anything you need, I am there. He's like, what if, and he points to Kevin, who I'm meeting for the first time, and he's like, what if I asked you to film Kevin's son's bar mitzvah? And I'm like, <laughs> Kevin's Jewish? <laughs> and uh, I did not get that job. But, <laughs> but, but you know, it's, 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 it was just amazing, and all of a sudden, I had all these opportunities come my way, and, and it was just a game changer. So you knew it was your pond. I mean, that's what I'm hearing. Sort yeah, of. And I, 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 yeah, I did, yeah. It's kind of beautiful. Thank you. Um, Jeff, I, like, you were, I, you know, I, you're such a talented writer, right? Like I, Thank you. And, and it's sort of silly to say you're not a journalist because you've done a ton of great journalism, you know, and like actively. And I think why... Did, did was that something you like? Were, did you think that you were going to become this traditional, almost famous journalist? Like, and and was that the goal when you came to New York after school? And even like now, is there a reason maybe that you don't identify that way? Yeah, I don't know. I think that it's a funny thing. It's almost like the forgotten part of my my like story. So I came out of school and I went on Media Bistro, um, which was like a job site, and I just applied for everything. And my first day, because my mom was like, you need to figure, you know, your life out. Like, you can't just sit here all summer and just, like, do nothing. And so I went on and I got um, two online internships in the first day. And the first one was with uh, this guy, Robert Moritz, who is Neil Moritz's brother. Which is crazy. Crazy. <laughs> and Robert was like, I am a men's health uh, writer or editor or something. And he was like, I'm doing this story where you have to figure out the quickest ways to get things done. And so he was like, I just need you to like do like administrative work, like nothing. But then because I was so good at that, he allowed me to basically write a lot of this, what would be a cover story, um, which was, you know, figuring out the quickest way to fall asleep or the quickest way to learn a new language or the quickest way to win a bar fight. So I was talking to some <laughs> UFC fighter from Romania about how you need to, like, smash a bottle over somebody's head instead of just, like, you know, uh, just a table. And then, you know, you wouldn't stab the person, but you would dis um, disorient them by smashing over their head. And then the, the, the way that you swing a chair. Like, so I learned all this stuff, and I, I did a good job for him. And then that got me a job at HBO, which Robert was later fired from. Um, <laughs> In, because he would just show up in the parking lot and just sit in the lounge chair instead of actually doing work. Anyway, oh, yeah. um, so HBO, I started doing sketch comedy over there. And then the writing thing only happened for me because Maura Johnston, who was then at the Village Voice, um, after we had been doing videos, she said, hey, you're really funny. I bet you'd be a good writer. And she sent me to cover um, Summer Jam for Hot 97. And from then, I, I wrote, like, a bunch of different concert reviews. And then Rolling Stone sort of poached me, Dory uh, Schaffer over there. And 
then I started doing like cover stories. I did a cover story for Vibe. I, I've written for Fader. I've written for Double XL. I've written for everybody. Um, a lot of places still owe me money um, <laughs> because I'm not very good at. Uh, I was never good at asking for checks, and I always felt a little bit guilty. Like this isn't my real job. And it's kind of insane. You always have to ask for your check. Like, yeah. Sometimes more than once. Oh, Why? Uh, yo, Billboard laughed at me when I was trying to fill out paperwork. <laughs> they like they were so hostile to me like i was like i hey i need to you know catch a flight and you guys haven't given me money for the past nine months and so i went in and they were laughing at me and i hope those people got fired yeah. like they're they're awful people yikes <laughs> that's my story <laughs> <laughs> that's why you never became a journalist i yeah. understand hey guys we just want to interrupt this episode episode 200 to tell you to go to it's the right now for all your it's the real needs we have podcasts. We have a book on pre-sale right now. It's going to be on sale sale yeah. very soon called Rhyme Book. It is on Amazon.com, but it's also on It's The Yeah, what else we got? We have tickets to our upcoming live show with The Locks. Two Jews and Two Black Dudes review the movies. We will be reviewing a movie. Yes. Live. Yes. Two Jews and Two Black Dudes <laughs> all as, on just stage as, together. Just as promised. Yeah. October 3rd, Highline Ballroom. Our merch. Go we to do. itsthereal.com slash shop. So t-shirts, right? Yeah. Purple. Uh-huh. And black. black. Yeah. And uh, I think that's it. Well, there's more information probably about us, and there's videos there, and... Just go to itsthereal.com. If you want to get in touch with us, that's where you go. I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L, no apostrophe, no spaces. Don't take our word for it. <laughs> yeah. Go to itsthereal.com today. And now, back to us. I just want to sort of, like, reorient, like, yes. sort of start a little bit at now, like, this stage of your career. Like, mm-hmm. when did you guys decide that you were going to be comedians together? And, like, what what is hip-hop sketch comedy? Yeah, which is a great question because I was driving over to this girl's house when I was still living up in, up in, well, living in White Plains. Our parents had moved. Um, and I heard this commercial for the television channel Fuse. They were going to start their version of UMTV Raps. And I was like, this sounds so inauthentic. And man, if, if I had any inclination to make TV, which I have no connection to and seemingly no understanding, I would kill it. And I parked the car and I thought, well, why don't I? And so when HBO was winding down. For me. For Jeff. Yeah, not as a network or as right, a company. Right, <laughs> yeah. we had We had sort of put these ideas together and made these pretty impressive pitches on what the real would be. Because I was like, well, what's one thing that can like tie everything together something that missy elliott is that kanye is something that young jeezy is that eve is yeah eve is yeah you know all these people talk about being real i was like we will be the definition of real and we we had this half hour program that had interview ideas and it had sketch ideas and live live performances performances. and so like 60 minutes meets angie martinez meets like uh mtv MTV unplugged and then also like snl and Um, but like you know, we would pitch this idea. We would walk into, we walked into Fuse and we walked into Double XL and Vibe and AOL and all these different places. And everyone loved the idea. But yeah, they, I'm pretty sure some people are still trying to make this show right now. This is yeah. true. And, yeah. but nobody saw how it could work business wise. So this is, this is 2006. 
and we're pitching around these ideas and we shot some videos to sort of show what we could do. And it's crazy to see where people have gone since then. We, you know, Jeff and I were at the uh, first show on On the Run tour. And at the end of the show on these giant, amazing video screens, they roll credits like it's a movie because it, why not? It's amazing. And the general manager of Parkwood is a woman that we pitched this to back in 2006. And I'm like, oh, my God, I should email her and just be like, hey, look at us now and look at you now. But, you know, we had this idea and it, it didn't take. And and so once again, we're not deterred by that. We're just like, all right, cool. We'll do what we can ourselves. And we can't rent out pianos and we can't, you know, a club downtown. We can't go get talent like The Roots to back up rappers that we can't get. And we can't go. We have no journalistic integrity. We can't go interview somebody and do the 60 Minutes meets Angie Martinez thing. So what can we do ourselves? We can do sketch comedy. And we had us, we had a camera, we had Final Cut Pro, and we had friends who were willing to do this, and we had these crazy ideas. So the first video we ever did was called Deconstructing Biggie, where we took the line, you're mad because my style you're admiring, don't be mad UPS is hiring. And we went to a depot, you know, where the trucks come in and they, you know, reload things and then send them out to people's homes to deliver packages. And uh, it was a FedEx one up in Westchester. And we said, hey, we have this great idea. We probably said we were students at like SUNY Purchase or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like right? definitely lied. And definitely we were, lied. We were like, so we're going to do this video and we would love to have the participation of some of your drivers just saying these lines that we've written out. And they were like, hell no. Like, leave the ground before we call somebody. <laughs> and we're like, fine, fuck you, right? And we marched our way down to uh, AI Friedman, which is a craft store. And we got all of this material that we would cut up and style into UPS logos and FedEx logos and DHL logos. And we bought these brown shirts at um, this, this you know, cheap shirt store. And we, you know, did our best sort of man sewing, you know. And we made these hats and shirts and put them on our friends and had them read our lines. And all of a sudden, we have a video that went viral. And we were super proud of it. And this was all us on random YouTube channels that we would create. And... We were like, there's two things that are going to separate us from everyone else, and we're going to treat this like a TV show ourselves, consistency and quality. So we're going to do things that are dope that no one else is thinking of, and it's going to be every Monday morning. No end game in sight, no idea that this was going to make money, still living at our parents' place up in White Plains. They, you know, I, we, had, we had temp jobs. Um, I worked in an office. I worked at, you know, Jeff was working at HBO, still is winding down. Um, we shot, uh, our second video over yeah, there. Yeah. So that was, um, we threw an early retirement party for Lloyd Banks, <laughs> yeah. um, which 10 years later he came up to us and he was like, I know you, I don't like you. You made fun of me. Don't make me beat you up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, but we would make these videos with our friends and we would, you know, go to all the big blogs at the time and misinfo.tv and Nah Right and Two Dope Boys and All Hip Hop and SOHH and we would monitor these and we'd stay up late at night making these videos. Our parents didn't know what was going on, but they liked seeing the creativity. They, they said that they were living above the shop. That's how they like referred to it. They knew that we were doing something fun. They knew we were doing something that made us happy. Um, they didn't ask about the money. Again, we're, you know, I tempted at, um, at the US Open, right? At the Lacoste store, which was like, you know, yeah, stupid. But, but and now you know the difference between uh, if it's a crocodile or an alligator. I do. It's a crocodile. So, um, 
it, someone came in and asked that, and I was like, oh my god, it's a plant. It's crazy. <laughs> so we would we would do these videos, and our parents didn't get them. A lot of our friends at home didn't get them, but a lot of our friends also did get them, the ones who would be in it, and we had the best time. And somewhere out in the world, we you know, we would see on our blogspot page that people were getting it and people were watching it and people liked it and people appreciated you would see on the not right comment board you know that well, people yeah, yeah mostly comments that were like pretty good yeah and then and also people who hated us right yeah. so we called ourselves hip-hop sketch comedians because anybody at that time youtube was new and anybody at that time could make videos and call themselves a sketch comedian and we were like again bigger fish smaller pond will be the only guys who are hip-hop sketch comedians. And that's not to say that, like, we invented the art form or anything, because there's, you know, Chappelle, and obviously, like, um, you know, people like Cypher Sounds have been doing things, and, and SNL and, and everything. But our brand of this sort of interesting time where hip-hop and the internet really got to know each other, we were the first ones hip-hop-related on Tumblr. We were the first hip-hop-related act on Vimeo. Yeah, and... And that made a difference. And we were, we're, we're two, we're the same guys that you met all those years ago. We're two Jewish kids from Westchester who just thought in this different way and had something to say. We were so in tune. We so loved hip hop and love hip hop and everything that goes on around it that people, when we did that Lloyd Banks video, I think it worked because people thought that it was the game who had gotten these white boys to to say something about Lloyd Banks or, or that Cameron. it was Dipset. Yeah. Dip but, but like, we also actively encouraged it, right? Sure. Like we, we came up with like different um, screen names and we would go into like forums and be like, oh my God, look, look who, at this video. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> but you know, that's how you had to play the game back then. Right. And we would do videos that we did. We had a video where Jeff saw um, LL Cool. You know, how sometimes people would see... Um, you know, uh, Mother Mary in in their uh, in the clouds or something like that, or you see Jesus, you know, somewhere. Well, we were like, Jeff's gonna see LL Cool J in his toast, you know, and you know, it burnt in the uh, in the in the toaster, and then he would see it. Video did not do numbers, right? Yeah, like we had nobody like, nobody has seen this video. It's very like great heady video, um, but it's just it didn't work. But the 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 biggest thing for us was do it again next week, and that's what we did, and we kept doing that for three and a half years, and. And somewhere in there, we bought the domain name, itstherreal.com. There were a lot of The Reels out there. There was a band called The Real, which had TheReal.com, and we became It's The Real. show called The Real. Well, well now yeah, there is. Now there yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Shouts uh -oh. to our girls over there. Yeah, Adrian <laughs> yeah. and them. I mean, you know, when you say Lloyd Banks came up to you a couple years later and, and let you know that he did not enjoy that sketch, I mean, I do think there's something interesting there, right? Like, as... I think my approach to being a white person in rap music has always been to be extremely earnest, right? And mm -hmm. to try to be just more thoughtful and sort of whatever. I, I think that was that was my understanding of my role. Um, and so I think seeing you guys early on and sort of like seeing you make gun noises and mm -hmm. laugh and like, right? Like was like a little like, who the hell, like who mm -hmm. gave them the right? Like, why yeah. is this mm -hmm. right? And I also think though that you met, like it really was a very fascinating time on the internet period, right? Like people like Miss Info and people like SK were like, you know, or, or we're kind of redefining what the conversation around rap was like, you know, and, and more sort of random people had this weird unprecedented power looking back now or even thinking about how you were thinking about it then, how did this feel like a responsible thing to do, right? To be sort of making light of rap culture, obviously like 
what you were doing was extremely creative. You were iterating, mm -hmm. had all the sort of hustle that anybody who's ever had a great rap story has had. But like, why did being funny mm -hmm. feel like an okay thing to do? I think that it felt like the okay thing to do because it was at a time when the pendulum had sort of swung so far in the other direction that it felt like a moment where hip hop used to be fun. And I, we felt like we could bring fun back into hip hop. We sort of came around at a time when 50 and Kanye were going at each other. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like this uh, authentic street character versus, you know, um, a more grounded... Um, yeah, like a hipster. But, well, yeah, yeah and with a lot of punchlines and, and he was talking about his experiences, which were not of the street. And, and that was very appealing, right? And we saw that. That was September 11th, 2007. Seven. And we did a video for that where, you know, we photoshopped all of their teams into a Ken Burns documentary. And we treated it like a Ken Burns documentary for the Civil War. And, you know, our dad played a historian. And, you know, we had all these people talking about it in very, you know, uh, grave terms. And it was it was just elevated. But but we we saw it as our job to sort of like just bring our voice in. And never to take away from what had been built before. We just wanted to build upon everyone who had. Um, so there was an earnest side to us. But we saw the humor in these situations where, you know, Dame Dash had a problem with um, uh, Irv Gotti or somebody who was like trying to get the Def Jam presidency after Jay-Z left, you know. Or whether it was all these rappers how could they possibly sit next to each other at Jay-Z and Beyonce's wedding? You know, so we did the whole seating chart and, and that became a popular video. Or we did this video called Ghost Writers on Strike. We just looked at things in a different way that wasn't necessarily offensive. The Lloyd Banks thing was, right? That was sort of like a roasting like little shot at, at someone who wasn't going to sell records. Um, but in general, I think we were um, doing it in a way that was respectable and... A huge, huge, huge thing was when we moved into the city in 2007, so a few months after we started, and we went out to lots of different events. We, we, at that point, we were no longer guys who lived outside the culture. This was, we were going to go to every party. We were going to go to every show. We were going to be at every line. And I remember one of the first shows we went to, like Mick Boogie, it was a Nas show. We were mm -hmm. standing outside, and Mick Boogie walked up to us, and he was like, you guys really exist. And, and we did. And we're not going to be just a, a, a Twitter egg. We're going to be those guys who, if we say something, we'll stand by it and you can say something to our face back. And, and that I think was a huge part of why we were successful because everyone knew us, everyone knew our heart was in the right place and everyone respected where we were coming from. Yeah. I think it also should be said like that the jokes we were making were so inside that it's like, well, obviously there's an appreciation for the culture. It's not like, these two guys who are just like, man, rappers wear funny chains and like don't play their own instruments. Like, you know, I think that, that we didn't go for like the lowest hanging fruit mm -hmm. usually. I mean, there were a lot of Memphis Bleaks jokes and I'm, I'm very sorry about that right. a decade on. Yeah. But, um, but I think that, you know, it was us trying to do something that when you love something so much, you, you want to be part of it. And yeah. I think this was us trying to be part of it. And can I tell you when we went, this is early on, we went to SOBs one night and uh, our friend Phil Chang 
had brought us over there. It was a... It was Wale. Oh, it was, it was a Mark Ronson Mark, showcase. Yep. And, and he had all, all his and, artists there. Yeah. And the line was crazy outside at SOBs. And we were like, oh, we're not going to get in. And, and it was the first time we walked in there. And, you know, Phil knew his uh, Wale's manager at the time. And he got us in. And the place was packed beyond belief. And there was just like, you know, green and magenta lights and, you know, smoke. And it was packed and it was hot. And it just felt so New York and everything. And I turn to my right and DJ Green Lantern, who is a musical hero of ours, walks up to us and goes, hey, what you guys are doing is important to the culture. Don't stop. And I was like, I, I, like blown away. Like I had, I had, you know, been in rooms with Jay-Z before. I had worked with Kanye before. But this hot 97 DJ who is so innovative came up to us and, you know, again, we're in front of the camera now. We're producing this content for no money. We're these Jewish white kids from Westchester and this guy who meant so much to us came and gave us that cosign. It doesn't matter that he didn't get on stage and get on the mic and tell everyone that he told me was like mind-blowing. And then he just, you know, evaporated Left. into yeah. the air. Yeah. And and we lived off that. You know, that yeah. gave us like the energy to like well, keep going. And it's happened like a bunch of times. Like Clark Kent came up to us in LA one time and he was just like, hey, um, I forget like the exact thing he said. It, it was like so small and then he just disappeared. Yeah. When we met Just Blaze for the first time and he invited us to Baseline and he was like, let's go hang out. When we met Miss Info for the first time, she was playing rock band at pianos. Yeah. And with with Horse from the Bravehearts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like at that time, uh, Miss Info sort of like kept us at an arm's length because, you know, she she was on a certain level and we were just some guys from the internet. And then to sort of grow into being friends with her and being friends with all these people. Yeah. Like Eric fanned out the first time we met DJ enough to like an uncomfortable degree. And enough was like for you. Had, well, no, but <laughs> to enough, enough was just like, yo, like chill, like we're friends. Yeah. So but like, but we, you know, when you talk about earnestness, like we had that earnestness where it was just like we, we were guys who who idolized all these people. And and you want to know, you want to know one of the first times that it really like clicked was when Bun B reached out to us and and he wanted to do a video with us and now. When Bun sees something, and Bun is so ahead of the curve, and Bun is very internet savvy, when he was a part of the video, it gave other people like sort of to, yeah. yeah. I want to jump ahead without mm -hmm. skipping so much, but I think you know you guys have obviously like sort of three years deep into that, you began branching off into other things, and yeah. now yeah. you've done this podcast for two hundred episodes, right? Crazy. And you have a book coming out. Yeah. There's a whole right. So, and I want to talk a little bit about maybe some things that happen along the way in detail, mm -hmm. but I also think a lot of your fans know about yeah. some of those accomplishments. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe just to start, like what, at this point in your career, what do you consider yourselves? Is the podcast the anchoring thing? And that's, you know, you consider yourselves great hosts. Are you on-air talent? Are you writer? Like what, yeah. At this point, there's so many different things, but obviously the podcast is the leading thing. And it's funny because it's like, it's something that we did not want to do. Um, our agent after we had sold a TV show, was like, well, the TV show is going to, the process is going to take a while. But if you want to keep your name out there, maybe you should do this podcast. And we were like, all right, well, we've already, we did a podcast in 2010. And we didn't think that there was like an audience there. And, you know. Who wants to hear these, you know, nasally voices yeah. all the time? And, and you know what? Um, 
we call ourselves hip hop sketch comedians still. Um, sketches is not what we do every day, not not what we do every week, or haven't done for years. Yeah, but when when we have to, we can. Like we wrote something that Wale hit us up like a couple years ago when he was doing that Seinfeld thing, and he's like, "Can you guys write me a sketch real quick for me and Jerry?" And we're like, "We sure can." Yeah, and 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 we've done some other you know writing bits um, here and there, but we do refer to ourselves as hip hop sketch comedians because it's such um, an easy conversation started it is like it's it's for whenever i'm in a party and people are like what do you do and i say well i'm a hip-hop sketch comedian people have a million questions yeah, it's as great. opposed to like hey i'm a podcaster or i'm a rapper or something and it's like well everybody's a podcaster or rapper right i want to be very honest in that and we didn't plan on switching all these focuses throughout the years but it was smart on our part because we never wanted to stay too late at the party if we did we would have been those guys who do sketches forever. And it's like, that's old. And we never wanted to be old. You know, I, yeah, we're we fresh, we're young because we do all these different things. I mean, do the auto-tune the news guys still auto-tune the news? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But they're not being interviewed today by Naomi Seigner. <laughs> no, yeah. that is very true. And you guys, right, there was a couple false starts with TV. I mean, talking about being too late at the party, like, I, yeah. like where is TV just in general, right? Yeah. Any, like, I think people are really struggling to understand what people want to watch on TV mm-hmm. or even what people want to watch on computers anymore. Yeah. yeah. You know, what were some of those maybe false starts or those disappointments that, like, you know, how, how did you feel about them now? And was there anything that at the time was, like, really felt like, oh, the career, like, our careers are fucked? Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. I think, like, we were... We were friendly with um, Nick Cannon uh, very early on for us, probably like 2012 or something, maybe even earlier. Earlier, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Nick had sort of like taken us under his wing. He was taking us into MTV2 meetings. He wanted us to um, be on Wild and Out. And I think that when those things didn't happen, I think that there definitely was disappointment. I think that there definitely was not like so much where it was just like, oh, like this is this is what I really wanted to do in life but i think that it was this sort of momentum that we were sort of looking for um you know because we had probably like our 2008 or something that early we were in vibe and they called our stuff better than anything on tv so like i think that for us it was always like okay once we got a manager we were like now the 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 next move is to get on tv and so there was this this very um focused path to we're going to get on tv well yeah i I think too there's a very sort of we don't work in a building we're not uh professionals in you know that we have a degree that you know allows us to do something we are self-made we are self-contained i think there's a lot of answering that you feel you need to do to your family to your friends to the greater sort of circles that you run in and a lot of times it, that pressure can get to you. So it's like, oh, we probably need to get a manager or we probably need to get an agent or we probably need to get a TV show at this point. It's not how do you do this very well or maybe you sell to Complex. You know, like that's a discussion that we had to have and we decided not to sell the Complex. They came to us and said, hey, what if you guys made your site into a full-time 24-7 operation where you're not just making sketch videos, but you're blogging and you're reporting on this and you're making lists. And we're like, well, yeah, but we don't want to do that. And we sacrificed money for that. Um, we sacrificed money on a, on a lot of fronts. We thought Vibe was going to give us a lot of money. We walked into Vibe and they were like, we're going to give you 
X amount of money and, and we would have been great and we could have moved out on our own and we could have had this career and had a lot of less awkward conversations of what hip hop sketch comedy is. We thought the MTV thing was going to be the one. Um, but a lot of the times it's not and you have to be so sure of who you are and not care what other people have to say and know that your work is good. And I think that we've shown that our work is good in a lot of different ways. I'm sure a lot of people were like, they're making a podcast or they're making music or they're going with MTV or they're doing this or that. And you know what? There were times when um, I wish I had a lot of money. <laughs> there are a lot of times I wish that I could go on vacation. I'm going on my first vacation in a decade um, at the end of this month. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. There were a lot of sacrifices that we made to make this career. Um, it's not perfect. We've had our ups and downs, but if you pull back and you look at it, we started from nothing and we've made it to something. And I think that a lot of the time it's more than just the money. We look to two chains. I say this a lot and I apologize to anybody who hears this all the time, but it's true. He made it late in rapper life um, on his terms. Right. And that's what I'm comfortable with. I'm comfortable knowing that like we're on the cusp of something we put in this work and I'm so proud of what we've done and done ourselves because a lot of people have not done that. And, you know, we don't necessarily measure ourselves against anyone, but I know that we've put in the work and I stand by all of our work. So I know, like, I've found it very impressive, like sort of what you guys say that you, you have been very present in so many people's life moments. Right. And I do think people forget that, like, rappers are humans, too. To go to somebody's show really does often mean something to them to make a real relationship mean something to people. I think, and I guess, though, like now. It's, it's funny to call sort of like the early 30s, like late life. But in some ways, right, we all work with 17 year olds every day. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of what this I, I think also, right, like the work of sort of being present for people has expanded in this crazy way. It's not just going to somebody's show. It's like responding to every comment or looking at every story. Right. Like that social world that wraps around everybody's lives is like very enveloping right now. And mm -hmm. I think. Like for you guys, is it, do you, are you finding it any more difficult or have you ever found it difficult to kind of be so present for people all the time and be on for people? Cause I do think that's been a huge part of your, of your work, right. And your work and life have sort of blended in that way. Yeah. I think that, um, it's just naturally within us to be very supportive of people. Um, and especially like, you know, I remember a very clear moment was when our father passed away and people reached out for that. And I remember after that, I was like, people made me feel good in that moment. And I should make people feel good um, in all in, in all, you know, capacities. And so I think that, um, you know, it's been sort of like a, a tougher year for me in terms of that, just because I feel like I'm not trying to sound like bitter. I'm not trying to sound like anything, but it, it is like this thing where I think that we're very supportive of a lot of people and I don't feel like the same um the same energy gets gets put back on us right and we've we've had a lot of those discussions um between ourselves and i think that the way that i look at it is that i don't i i i just i want to keep putting good energy out there um i know that this business has treated us very well and the people in it deserve that from us yeah um and so we go to celebrations and we go to funerals you know um I, you know, I went to um, 
so a, 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 someone were friendly with her father passed away unexpectedly and I went to the funeral and I didn't know the man but I wanted to support someone who we're friendly with because you're there in good times and in bad and I know that meant a lot to her and you know I, I, hopefully that helps build her up um, and, and I hope that the good energy is returned somewhere in this crazy universe of ours I think the difficult thing is being so um, omnipresent that you get lost. You know, I'm so afraid of going to every event and having people look at us like wallpaper and be like, well, oh yeah, no, of course they're here. Because there's something about, we went to London and we did a show with DJ Semtex and people went crazy for that. And I think it's because, oh, you're doing something out of the norm. You're not at SOBs, you're not at Highline, you're not at uh, Best Buy Theater, whatever it's called, PlayStation or whatever it is, you're, you're with Big Ben, right? Or, you know, you're in Cleveland for the, for the Beyonce and Jay-Z tour. Um, I think there's something about, like, getting out further than, than what people expect from you. And, and part of that is, so it's a, it's a difficult balance. You know, you want to be at every event and you want to go say hi to your friends. But at the same time, you have to sort of, like, like level up to sort of, like, get beyond these four walls. I think both of you have also, or Jeff, like I think specifically something that you wrote a couple years ago about your father, like I found very touching and just found it very impressive the way that you were able to express yourself and also just like clearly how much like being a good human matters to you, right? And and celebrating things that are good. Like it yeah. sounds, it sounds simple and corny when when I say it, but I really do think that it's like something that many of us learn over the course of our lives. And it seems like something that you guys sort of came to understand, maybe at an earlier point in your life, and has sort of guided you in a lot of ways. And I, I think I just like wanted to sort of pause and say like, how did your father's death affect you? And also like, what is that something maybe that you learned from him? Is that something you learned from your mother? Like what, what was that sort of value of really, um, kind of like caring about ultimately like how people treat each other first. And I think Eric, it speaks to what you're saying about like, just knowing your work matters is the most important thing. Knowing that the work is good, right? Like knowing that you are good seems to really matter to both of you. And where do you think that that comes from? Um, so our, parents um in 2008 or so they, they love to travel um our dad actually earlier our dad got laid off um from those companies that he you know did so much for right and um i remember at dan and jeff's high school graduation dad dad always had this mustache and then he shaved the mustache and he dyed his hair to look younger and like really try to you know put himself in a position so he could get a, a better job and um or a job well, it should be said like he got laid off like right when his pension was going to kick in. Right. It was it was really it was really tough. And um and what ended up happening was our parents sold the house that we grew up with um as a chance to give dad retirement um and allow uh them to live and and to travel and to enjoy themselves. And during those travels so dad never ended up getting a job again. Like happy retirement. Um, they, you know, they had money invested. They sold the house and got money off that. And through those travels, they ended up going to like, was it Maine or Canada? They went to uh, Nova Scotia. I okay. Say. So, so they were in Canada and they met these people and they were very like-minded, a group of friends who had grown up with each other who lived in North Carolina. And our parents were like we love these people with the same like, you know, disposition and the same political beliefs. And like, we all love pottery. And, 
Yeah, and so eventually, uh, mom and dad were taking a walk at uh, their house in uh, White Plains. Uh, we had moved into the city. Our brother Dan was living in Cleveland, and our dad. It was almost like he was asking our mom to marry him again. He was like, "What do you think if we buy property down in North Carolina?" and build a house down there. And she said yes, and they took this leap of faith, and they built that house, they bought an apartment in the city, um, about 30 blocks south from here, and they, uh, then the economy took a downturn and they could only afford one place. And so they decided to go all in on this place in North Carolina. So they finished building the house, and uh, they moved down there, which was very emotional for us, because you know our parents are out of our lives. Like 30 blocks can seem like a, a short, space but it's also a big space and it was just it was good enough we got to drop in and visit them and know that they were here and it was very emotional when they left and they moved down to North Carolina and within nine months um, our dad had been diagnosed with esophageal cancer and uh, passed away six weeks later yeah so that was very very tough Um, it was tough on us it was tough on our mom supremely tough our dad uh, asked that mom wait until the housing market rebounded to sell the house. Um, this was their dream house. They built it from the ground up. And, you know, it was it was in the mountains. It was a half an hour from anything. anything. Um, you know, there's just wilderness around them. And it's not built for one person, right? So our mom moved down into um, a, a sort of, like, cabin across the street from her best friends down there. And her friends and the whole city the whole town treated them treated mom really really well um and we did what we could from here and went down there and then moved her back up eventually when she was able to sell the house um and get the rightful money for that um so our dad wasn't able to see what our career would eventually become right but what he really appreciated as far as when we were um still making the videos when, when he was around, um, was that, so our dad always loved the arts. He was always giving with the arts. He and mom would go to see ballets and they would go see plays all the time. Um, they would go see bluegrass music. They, you know, live in concert, they went and saw Bruce Springsteen, loved Bruce Springsteen. Like they really, um, they both loved the arts, but dad, um, grew up in a time when, uh, his parents were like, hey, you got to get into the sciences. Our grandfather worked for NASA. You know, he was like, you should do this. And our dad went to um, Case, Western. Case Western Reserve in Cleveland, sight unseen, went over there and... Hated it. Hated it. Yeah. Get, get like a physics degree, right? Yeah. And, but he took, he took um, fine arts courses, like sort of like behind his parents' back to sort of like go to museums and get all that and really like appreciated that. Which he loved. And he and the, this, this group of guys who all took this art history class, they like joined up again like 30 years later and went to the same museum with the same art professor. And like they, you know, that, that was like his thing. Yeah. And so I think that they, they both, appreciated where we were coming from they might not have understood the lyrics or the beats or certainly the business around it or anything but what they saw was two brothers who loved each other and worked together so well able to do this um this is before our brother dan came back to new york city clearly we love him and work well with him too and he would eventually live with us for a time but um but specifically what we what we had to do together they were so impressed by um and they were, 
you know, dad was was very giving of his time, worked at a community college, and uh, they would do these fundraisers for um, kids in Yonkers, you know, around Christmas time. We're Jews, but they would always be Santa hats and moving like all giant bikes and doing all these wrappings on Christmas Eve and, and all this stuff for um, kids who weren't as fortunate as like we got to be when we when we were growing up. And so um, I think that there was an appreciation of what we did to that point and what we could do. And, and I think the baseline was that, and mom and dad would talk about this a lot, um, I would learn like later on, is they loved who we became as young men. And that mattered more than whatever our job title was or whatever we would go on to do in life. And that is very satisfying. I know dad loved when we moved into the city. That was his big thing. Cause he's like, you know, the city meant so much to him when he came up here. Yeah. Um, and they also, hate, uh, they hated Westchester. <laughs> but, but it's, it's bittersweet because I think to myself often, would we, if we didn't have, um, that moment in our lives when we lost our dad, would we be the same people that we are today? Absolutely not. And it's crazy to think that cause I want dad in our lives and it's like, what an effect he had both in life and in death. So um, it, it caused us to stop doing sketches for a while. Um, it caused us to rethink things. And I think that everything we do is a nice tribute in, in one way or another to, uh, you know, the, the job that he did in, in raising us. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think you make? your work for now like who is the audience right I think so much of also what you guys have done in sort of having an independent business is to be able to have a direct line to that audience that you guys really do work for them in a lot of ways um who who are they who do you think they are who do you want them to be I don't know <laughs> yeah I wish I, I wish I had a better idea I think that um you know we have a dedicated fan base and I think that um I think that we do it Mostly for ourselves, to be honest. Yeah, like, I, I don't. Know I don't that, think that's a bad answer. I was yeah. thinking like of Steve Jobs when he was just like, I know what the people want, and not to say like we are Steve Jobs in any sense of the word, but what I'm saying is that like, let's say for the podcast, when we book a guest, it's someone who, who we think is cool. Yeah, or who we think like is, a lot of people might not know who Marsha St. Hubert is, but she means everything to us. Everything. And and so, well, to all three of us, but like, <laughs> but certainly like. Uh, the work that she does, the appreciation that she deserves, we're like, she needs to be on this platform. And we fought our great friend, Marsha, to get on this podcast forever. And, yeah. and when we when we could have gotten X rapper or yeah, I think producer. there's a lot of people that we have turned down who have, like, hundreds of thousands of um, followers on Instagram or, like, you know, millions of listens on various platforms. You know, I think that, that we could have gotten certain guests that would not have been right for us they would have been right for if you're trying to build you know a platform but i think that we're just trying to be authentic to ourselves um and i'm very afraid of doing something like normal i'm very afraid of doing something that's expected i i want to you know i want to do something different we so last year when we did our show at uh highline ballroom and we brought everyone from rockefeller together that came from Jeff saying, well, okay, we could get one guest and we've done one guest before, but what if we went and just went crazy and got 10 and that turned into the Rockefeller thing? Well, yeah, but how do you top that now? Well, everyone's like, you guys should go get Rough Riders together. You guys should get Bad Boy together. But 
we're doing this thing with the locks where we're watching a movie with the audience. Um, and that's as different as it possibly could be. But we're very sure of the product because we're very sure of ourselves. And, you know, I think something also that you guys have always been a bit, maybe just by virtue of being young and internet connected and kind of whatever, like on the cutting edge a little, you know, or maybe just by virtue of necessity and being grassroots. But, you know, as media makers, and I think I think about this a lot, like, you know, and, and the state of media is pretty grim at the moment. Um, like what what are some of the ways that you guys are where where do the opportunities feel like they lie right like mm-hmm. is instagram where we should all have all of our energy is podcasting the future like right. what's it's funny it's 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 this thing where every few years you'll be like oh you want to know what like everybody just craves those real connections and so you have to get live experiences mm-hmm. and so um i think that uh we're finding a lot of opportunities in live experiences. Um, I think that a lot of people want us to come to their towns and, and to, you know, send them merch and stuff. And then it's also like, well, but you can also do all this stuff online. And so, like, you build up organic things online as well. I think that it's, for us, because we have, when we had agents, we had agents in, like, <laughs> a million different, like, we had, we had zillions of agents. All the sectors, yeah. Yeah. Like, so people would be like, oh, who's your, who's your agent at WME? And we'd be like, name off like 30 different people. <laughs> and it's, it's this thing where there's a lot of opportunities for us. Um, I don't know about everybody. You know, I don't know if everybody's getting into, you know. Yeah. You know, speaking about like live experiences. Um, and, and this is something sort of 10 years old, which is that. Like I said, we were those guys who would download every song off the Internet. We downloaded Freeway's album. And by the way, shouts to Freeway, who we love in real life, right? Um, I hope that we've made it up to him <laughs> since then. But uh, we wanted to give something that you couldn't necessarily um, just download for free. We, we we want those experiences. And we've had some meetups. Um, we did a meetup in Los Angeles where uh, people from all over came. We were just like, all right, Union Station, come meet us there. And people came and wanted us to sign things, just wanted to hear their stories, wanted to hear our story, wanted to hear us make jokes, wanted to take pictures. That's meaningful to us, right? That we can do hand-to-hand and brands want to get involved in that. We're like, can we rent a bench and get like, you know, Doritos to sponsor it? Which, by the way, is still a great idea. Yes, and 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 the answer is yes. And that's something that we're really like looking forward to doing in addition to live podcasts, live rap shows, live traditional things like we want to sort of like work ourselves in because at the end of the day when you're like who who are we um are we hip-hop sketch comedians are we podcasts or whatever people just like what we do we create something that's why people are buying you know a notebook that we put together that's why people are interested in a you know a real like book about our journey that's why people are interested still in shows that we're going to do for television or, or music or whatever it is, we provide something. There's some, there's some good energy there. There's something that people like about us that we can give them, whether it's on a park bench or whether it's on your computer screen. So I think, I think we're good and that, that brands and com- you know, uh, media companies are now catching up to us. And so, again, sort of like when you give so much of yourselves and when you are kind of live and present to people all of the time, like, you know, where, where's your life going when you come home, right? You guys have this amazing apartment. Mm -hmm. So many people have been welcome in this beautiful apartment. You've lived together for a really long time. Mm 
Um, I think your brother just bought an apartment and he did. Get, yeah. got married. Yeah. No. No. no, 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 no not no, okay. No. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, Dan. But, con- um, but congratulations, yeah, Dan. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, like I think about in my own life, right? Unless like, a mortgage is a marriage. Uh, yeah. 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 Is it? Yeah. I think it may be. You know, I lived with somebody for about ten years, uh, and so now do not live with them, right? I feel like this year has been so interesting for me to kind of actually like really understand what the things are that I have relied on other people for things that I can rely on for myself. You guys have clearly relied on each other for so much, right? And you are such a powerful duo in your work. Mm-hmm. Eric with like beating down the doors, Jeff, very prepared and thorough. Like there's <laughs> yeah. a magical combination there. Um, do you see a life where you don't live together or like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. yeah. We don't want to end up like, what was the, um, what was that documentary with the two sisters who lived together? Great gardens. Great gardens. We don't want to be that. Right. Don't put that out there. We don't want to do that. Yeah. It's a very clean apartment, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, yeah, like I want to be in a position where, um, I can be like Dan, you know, and get my own place and decorate it the way I want to. And, um, and and enjoy that that's a that's you know this has been very enjoyable and you know i i wouldn't uh have traded the experience whatsoever but you know there is a a time and place and i sort of want to grow and level up in that in that regard yeah i think that for me you know there's a power in in working and and being around eric but there's also a power in you know I, I'm a person who loves to be by himself. I'm a person who, and I know that, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a very social person, but, like, I walk through the park, like, all the time, both of them, because we have both of them around. Um, I I have started running. Um, you know, like, I think that there's, it's dope to be alone. And yeah. it's dope to, um, you know, figure things out and and experience things on your on your own. And we are we are, you know, individuals and I'm glad that you brought up Jeff's writing because that Jeff was, you know, there's a very good time and very good work that that stands up and people still talk about, you know, his work on the Rihanna plane. So, obviously we'll get recognized wherever we go. All around this country and this world, we've been recognized, oh, it's the real, it's the real, it's the real, which is great and I love that. Um it is amazing to me if I'm on my own how Jeff will get recognized more by himself than I will get recognized by myself. Yeah, well... It's the glasses. I think it is the glasses. I think it's the glasses. Yeah. It's also that I'm about a foot taller than everybody. That is true, yeah. Um, yeah, I have, like, a lot of, like, you know, signifiers. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very tall. I'm very skinny. I've got glasses. Glasses, yeah. Yeah. What, you know, when you look at sort of the overall mission to date, like, what's what's the next step, guys? You know, like, where... Yeah. It's just to do cool work, right? Like, I think that, that whatever the medium is, is sort of not um, the issue. Like, it doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there is something within us that, or at least with me, where it's like TV has always been the goal. Like, I I, I think that there was a um, something put in the air, you know, 10 years ago, and I, I want to complete that mission. Um whether that's a streaming service, I don't think I want to be at MTV anymore <laughs> for various reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that we're putting in the work to to take this to that level where like there is you're not just hearing our voices and you're not just seeing our work on like a piece of paper, but you're now being able to like um you know, see us on camera. I love being able to do new things. Um, I love being able to express myself in different creative ways and not be boxed into one thing or another. Um, I know I didn't go to my high school reunion. Jeff went to his. Um, and killed it, and by killed the way. It. But there is something about um, 
and I'm not active on Facebook either, but there is something about knowing that I am consistently redefining what I want to do and enjoying the work that I do that is extremely satisfying. I love and am so proud of all the different ventures that we've done. Um, I get I get such a kick out of being in the studio and creating. I get such a kick out of writing and sending a draft to Jeff and him kicking it back and, and going back and forth with that. We get the biggest high from a an amazing conversation like right here. It's wild. And uh, again, when all these opportunities come up, which we thought were so foreign years ago, to create merch, for people to buy merch, to be able to send book proposals and have them be like over the moon about it or to, or to sell a TV show. It, it's all like it's satisfying, um, but it's not like we're done. Right. And for you, as somebody who has, you know, you you left comforts of certain jobs and took chances on other ones. And that's always been impressive to us. I feel like you understand the fact that, like, we're not just one thing and we know that our talents can work in lots of different things. That's what I think we're both excited about yeah. doing, like moving forward. And like, I just, I don't know if we're wrapping up or anything and we can sit here all day and that's totally cool. <laughs> I just want to, I just want to make sure that this is on the record. Um, we're so flattered that you would come in and sit here because I put out word. Um, we're not journalists. Um, we're not, you know, great personalities or I guess we're great personalities. We're not great. Like, radio personalities or something like that. I think we're just good at, at what we do and we're honest and we're authentic. Um, I put out the word two months ago, something like that, that I really wish someone would interview us like we interview people. And and when people are like, well, what does that mean? I think it's it's there's a certain level of care in there. When we had Tierra Wack up here, she said at the very end, she was like, I'm nervous. And we're like, why are you nervous? You're in our apartment. Yeah, and she was like, because you guys care. And I think that it's dope to have somebody, you know, talk to you and, and, and put that care into it. Yeah. You are somebody who your record is exemplary and your resume is outstanding. And it means the world to us that you would take the time to uh, to care, and, you know, um, and and there is something about that. And I'm so glad that we have this on the record. And I just want to say thank you. Well, thank you. And congrat- seriously, congratulations on 200 episodes. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> I know where the noise is. <laughs> and, and on all that you've done. And thank you for caring about me and for our community. It is appreciated. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of A Waste of Time with It's the Real. Jeff, if people have not heard enough from us, if people want to find out more about who we are, I'm Eric, you're Jeff. We are It's the Real. If people want to go get Rhyme Book, if people want to go get AKA t-shirts, if people want to go get tickets to our upcoming show on October 3rd at Highline Ballroom with the locks called Two Jews and Two Black Jews Review the Movies, where can they go? You can always go to itsthereal.com, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L.com. No apostrophes, no spaces, itsthereal.com today. Go to itsthereal.com slash shop for merch. Yes. Go to itsthereal.com just in general. Mm-hmm. You can always find our podcast at soundcloud.com slash a waste of time. You can also go on iTunes, search for a waste of time with It's The Real. I'm sure it's on Google Play and all other streaming platforms like Spotify. Just search for a waste of time with It's The Real. It's a sort of complicated name. 
and yet people still manage to find it so you can too that's right um i would also say you can listen to our music it is on spotify it's on apple music it is on soundcloud it is on all streaming platforms youtube youtube.com slash it's the real <laughs> you can also go and listen to our twitter if we read it to you yep. go to twitter.com slash it's the real go to instagram at it's the real we're also on facebook but we don't really use it nope and i'm on fortnite at it's it's the real how's that going killing it literally yeah jeff as always we like to shout out those who are so great to us who appreciate us and spread the word about us who would you like to shout on episode 200 i want to shout out everybody all right how's that That, that's pretty good i um well we've shouted out i i mean i've shouted out 200 or so people you've shouted out 200 or so people just throughout this process Mm -hmm. and there's way more people out there and there's a lot of people to shout out uh you know we can start with the artists who have come up here the djs the engineers the writers the comedians we can start with the people on their teams the people who have fallen asleep on the couch (laughs) listening to our interviews the people who buy t-shirts the people who shout us out on twitter and say like that they enjoyed the episode the people who will recommend guests um, whenever we ask the people who bring us guests you know i mean like there's there's just a lot of people that go into 200 episodes it's not just even though it's the two of us sitting in this room there's a lot of people to thank and so i want to thank everybody who's been a part of it i want to thank everybody who is going to be a part of things moving forward yes very well said i hope this doesn't take anything away from you saying that you want to thank everyone but i want to thank a couple of specific people one i want to thank our brother dan who listens to every episode who lived here for most of the episodes and who is a huge supporter of us and it means so much to us that he does support us the way he does i want to shout out greg mayo who is a huge supporter of us in that he's also our best friend and rocks with us and has rocked with us for the longest time and also was the engineer to our first podcast and engineered this very here podcast so shout out to greg who also produces all of our music if you like the intro and outro music it's called suns out guns out it's by it's the real and freeway produced by greg mayo if you guys like his music hit him up at greg mayo music i also want to thank somebody who we don't hear from a lot these days but he really meant a lot to us at the beginning of our career and through most of our career and he deserves to be mentioned for a lot of people's success certainly ours eske who is the proprietor of not right who was the brains behind not right who helped so many artists get traction and promote themselves and be seen by people that they never even imagined and two of those artists are sitting at microphones right now that's jeff and myself and the fact that sk posted our videos that he supported us that he defended us sometimes when nasty now right commenters could be at their nastiest that sk would hear us out that he would listen to our dreams and support on a platform that at the time we couldn't even fathom is so important to our career arc and we just can't say thank you enough to a guy who uh, has done so much so shout out to sk shout out to sk 
And like Jeff said, thanks to all you guys. It really means a lot that you've rocked with us from episodes one all the way to 200. And we look forward to 200 more. As always, guys, not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys next week. Right. Right.